Sudan Live Updates, Army Rejects Call for Humanitarian Ceasefire. Edward Wong Edward Wong Nick Cumming Bruce Abdi Latif Tahir Declan Walsh Abdi Latif Tahir Abdi Latif Tahir Abdi Latif Tahir Abdi Latif Tahir Declan Walsh Declan Walsh Edward Wong Edward Wong Edward Wong Edward Wong Abdi Latif Tahir Declan Walsh Farnas Fasahai Declan Walsh Declan Walsh Michael D. Sheer Elian Peltier Elian Peltier Abdi Latif Tahir Declan Walsh Abdi Latif Tahir Pinned Sudan's army rejected a call by rival Rapid Support Forces paramilitaries for a 24-hour humanitarian ceasefire on Tuesday, signaling no let-up in four days of fighting that has killed at least 185 people and wounded more than 1,800 others. The Sudanese army in a statement accused the RSF of trying to use a ceasefire to cover up the crushing defeat it will receive within hours. But it was not clear who was in control of the country, or which of the two dueling forces had the upper hand in the spreading violence. The head of the RSF, Lt. Gen. Mohamed Hamdan, had called for the pause after speaking with the United States Secretary of State, Antony J. Blinken. Mr. Blinken said on Tuesday that a U.S. diplomatic convoy had come under attack a day earlier in Sudan's capital, Khartoum, but that all of its personnel were safe. Security across the northeastern African nation has continued to deteriorate, with many residents, who are stranded at home, reporting no electricity and water for days. Hospitals are lacking critical supplies, and patients, including babies, have been evacuated after the dueling forces bombed medical facilities or cleared them to use the buildings as defensive positions. Here are the latest developments. Initial reports indicated that, the assailants who attacked the American diplomatic convoy on Monday might have been tied to the Rapid Support Forces, Mr. Blinken said. The assault occurred on the same day that the European Union's ambassador to Sudan was attacked, an incident that the bloc's top diplomat, Josep Borrell Fontales, called a gross violation of the Vienna Convention. More than a dozen hospitals in Sudan have had to shut down, according to the Central Committee for Sudanese Doctors. The group said that several medical facilities had been bombed or evacuated, while others faced shortages of doctors and medical supplies. International officials have repeatedly called for an end to the fighting, which has crushed hopes of a transition to democracy after a 2019 uprising that toppled Omar Hassan al-Bashir, the longtime autocrat. There will and must be accountability for anyone, including military or political actors, who attempts to undermine or delay Sudan's democratic progress," said Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. The fourth day of clashes in the Muslim-majority nation on Tuesday coincided with the 27th day of the holy month of Ramadan, which many Muslims believe was the night the Quran was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad. The UN Human Rights Office said that at least 185 people had been killed and more than 1,800 injured in four days of fighting in Sudan. Most of the reported deaths and injuries were in Khartoum, the agency said, noting that its monitoring was limited by violence and insecurity. The number of casualties is expected to rise as more information is collected, agency officials said. A U.S. diplomatic convoy came under attack on Monday in Sudan's capital, Khartoum, Secretary of State Antony J. Blinken said, the same day that the European Union's ambassador to the African nation was attacked, a sign of the deteriorating security situation. 
All of our people are safe, Mr. Blinken said at a news conference on Tuesday in Karuzawa, Japan, where he was attending a group of seven meeting. Mr. Blinken said that the attack was still under investigation but that initial reports indicated that the assailants might have been tied to the Rapid Support Forces, the paramilitary group battling Sudan's army in clashes that began on Saturday. We will continue to track this very closely and very carefully, Mr. Blinken said. He said the U.S. convoy had diplomatic license plates and bore American flags, clearly identifying it. The convoy was carrying American officials from their homes in the city to a large American residential compound in central Khartoum, said four diplomatic officials, who asked not to be named because of security concerns. Gunfire hit an armored vehicle in the convoy, but none of its occupants were injured, the officials said. The compound, known as the Presidential Villas, was built under President Omar Hassan al-Bashir to house visiting heads of state during the 2006 Arab League summit. The heavily guarded premises are about a mile and a half from the Sudanese military headquarters, which has experienced some of the fiercest fighting in recent days. Across Sudan, people were hiding in their homes, fearing for their safety, as fighting entered a fourth day, with fighter jets circling the capital and gunshots and explosions rocking Khartoum. The violence against foreign officials, who are usually not targeted, highlighted how much the security situation has worsened in Khartoum in recent days. On Monday afternoon, members of the RSF assaulted the European Union's ambassador to Sudan, Aidan O'Hara, in his residence in Khartoum, according to two Western officials. The bloc's top diplomat, Josep Borrell Fontels, said on Twitter that the assault constituted a gross violation of the Vienna Convention. Mr. O'Hara, who is from Ireland, was not injured when armed men broke in, threatened him at gunpoint and stole money, the officials said. The assailants were identified by their uniforms and because the group controlled the nearby streets, the officials said. The pause is the longest proposed ceasefire since the clashes began three days ago, and previous ceasefires had not held. On Sunday and Monday, both sides continued fighting when the United Nations and the African Union called for three-hour truces to allow safe passage for civilians who had been sheltering in their homes. The doctors' group said that many medical workers were finding it hard to respond because their facilities were hit by bombs, lacked electricity, or had run out of supplies. Some were also being used as a defensive position by the rival forces. The Sudanese army and a paramilitary group known as the Rapid Support Forces were once aligned. The RSF fought on behalf of the Sudanese army until its outgrown influence and the ambitions of its leader, Lieutenant General Mohamed Hamdan, put the two sides in direct confrontation. Here is a look at the paramilitary group. Who are the Rapid Support Forces? The Rapid Support Forces can trace its origins to the notorious Janjaweed militias, which in the 2000s helped Sudan's army crush a rebellion in the western region of Darfur. While the military had an air force and heavy weapons, the Janjaweed provided on-the-ground fighters in isolated areas. An estimated 300,000 people were killed in the conflict between 2003 and 2008, and 2.5 million more were displaced, according to the United Nations. The International Criminal Court opened investigations into the genocidal violence, indicting Sudan's longtime dictator Omar Hassan al-Bashir on charges of genocide and crimes against humanity in 2009. 
Mr. al-Bashir was adamant about giving the group an institutional veneer, and in 2013, it became the RSF, with members first deployed as border guards, then as mercenaries for a Saudi-led coalition in Yemen. Who is the RSF leader, General Hamdan? Lieutenant General Mohammed Hamdan, mostly known as Hamidi, is a former Janjaweed leader who was once backed by Mr. al-Bashir, but who eventually helped oust him following a popular uprising in 2019. In 2021, General Hamdan and the Army Chief, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, staged another coup, and, until Saturday, the two had been sharing power. As General Hamdan's influence grew, along with his aspirations to lead the country, the two generals became enemies. The military had pushed to integrate the RSF into its ranks, but the paramilitary group resisted. How large is the RSF? Experts and Western officials estimate the RSF to number between 70,000 and 150,000 fighters. Its members include former military and intelligence officers, according to Roland Marchal, a sociologist at Sciences Po University in Paris and an expert on civil wars in Africa. In recent months, General Hamdan has recruited more fighters from the country's east and north in an attempt to widen his support base, according to Mr. Marchal. He has also deepened his connection to foreign powers, visiting Russia at the beginning of the war on Ukraine, partnering with the Wagner Mercenary Group, to dig for gold, in Sudan, and deploying troops in Yemen, to serve the interests of Saudi Arabia, and in Libya, for the United Arab Emirates. Still, the RSF lacks the firepower of the military. The group doesn't have planes, for instance. And while RSF fighters are used to operating in rural areas, they are not as well trained for combat in cities like Khartoum, according to Mr. Marshall. Nairobi, Kenya, as two rival generals, each with his own army, grappled for power in Sudan on Monday, even hospitals trying to tend to the swelling numbers of wounded were no longer havens. At one overwhelmed medical center, the morning began with shelling. Then, members of a paramilitary force barged inside, ordered newborns and other patients to be evacuated, and began taking up positions, one doctor said. The hospital turned into a battlefield, said the doctor, Musab Kojali, an emergency room physician at the police hospital in Buri, northeast of the capital, Khartoum. Many other hospitals were also reported to have come under attack on Monday, the third day of fighting in Sudan. The death toll has risen to at least 180, with about 1,800 others injured. The two generals, who together seized power in a coup in 2021, have now turned against each other, rebuffing all attempts by mediators who for months had been pressing them to unite their fighting forces under one umbrella, relinquish power and allow a transition to civilian rule. Amid growing reports of random violence and looting, concerns grew that the fighting might embroil other nations in the region, including Egypt, which has troops in the country, as well as Chad, Ethiopia and Libya. Russia has also been trying to make inroads in Sudan, and members of the Kremlin-affiliated Wagner private military company are posted there. Leaders from around the world called for a ceasefire, but it was not clear who, if anyone, was in control of Sudan, Africa's third-largest country, by area. In Khartoum, where many have lost power and water, residents watched warplanes and military helicopters circling ominously, and homes shuddered with the sound of shelling.
Those few who dared venture out from their homes found the streets dangerous and desolate. Everyone is afraid, said Ahmed Abirira, a 28-year-old mechanical engineer who went out to try to charge his cell phone. You can see it in their eyes. People are panicking. The fighting began on Saturday, when forces loyal to Lieutenant General Mohammed Hamdan, the head of the paramilitary group called the Rapid Support Forces, began clashing with forces loyal to the Sudanese Army Chief, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan. Only the army has aircraft, and on Monday, General Hamdan accused his rival of bombing civilians from the air. The Sudanese army said in a statement that it was operating within the rules of conflict and international humanitarian law. The turn of events has worsened a crisis in a nation where one-third of its 45 million people were already in need of food aid. Now, the violence has forced aid groups to suspend operations. The United Nations World Food Programme says three of its workers were killed. And on Monday, the UN envoy to Sudan, Volker Pertas, said gunmen had been looting and burning warehouses holding critically needed aid, as well goose houses and offices of agencies like the World Food Programme and UNICEF. Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary-General, said he had spoken with both warring generals and expressed deep concern. The humanitarian situation in Sudan was already precarious and is now catastrophic, he said. The American Secretary of State, Antony J. Blinken, called for an immediate ceasefire and spoke separately with General Hamdan and General Alberhan to underscore the urgency of reaching a ceasefire, Vedant Patel, a State Department spokesman, said in a statement. The secretary expressed his grave concern about the death and injury of so many Sudanese civilians due to the sustained, indiscriminate fighting and stressed the responsibility of the two generals to ensure the safety and well-being of civilians, diplomatic personnel and humanitarian workers, Mr. Patel said. General Hamden said, on Twitter, that he was honored to have a vital conversation with Mr. Blinken and had discussed their shared dedication to freedom, justice and democracy for our people. For now, however, even the much more modest goal of a ceasefire appears elusive. Mr. Purtis said that he was talking to the leaders of both military factions daily and that they had made it clear that they had no intention of ending the fighting. They are, however, receptive to the idea of a pause to allow humanitarian access, he said. Although the toll on civilians has been most evident in Khartoum, aid workers say they are also concerned by the situation outside the capital and especially in the western Darfur region. Save the Children, an aid organization, said on Monday that looters had stolen medical supplies for children, as well as a refrigerator, laptops and cars, in a raid on one of its offices in Darfur. The group Sudan director, Arshad Malik, called on the combatants to safeguard humanitarian services. For the past three days, he said in a statement, people across Sudan have been gripped by fear, not knowing if it is safe to leave their homes, and now having to make the choice between facing that fear and starving to death. Cyrus Pei, a coordinator for Doctors Without Borders in North Darfur, said in a statement that most of the wounded there were civilians who were caught in the crossfire, among them are many children. He painted a dire picture of the conditions for medical workers. The hospital is rapidly running out of medical supplies to treat survivors, Mr. Pei said. It is running out of medicines and blood. 
There has also been a power outage in the city since the beginning of the fighting and fuel supplies for the hospital generator are also running low. The Central Committee for Sudanese Doctors said that more than a dozen hospitals had been forced to close. Hospitals in Sudan are under bombardment, the group said. American diplomats are sheltering in place, and a White House spokesman said that all U.S. government personnel are accounted for. But Western officials reported that the European Union ambassador to Sudan, Aidan O'Hara, had been assaulted at his home in Khartoum after armed men broke in, threatened him at gunpoint and stole money. The assailants were members of the Rapid Support Force's paramilitaries, identified by their uniforms, several officials said, speaking on the condition of anonymity for security reasons. This constitutes a gross violation of the Vienna Convention, Josep Borrell Fontels, the top diplomat for the bloc, said on Twitter. Security of diplomatic premises and staff is a primary responsibility of Sudanese authorities and an obligation under international law. The UN spokesman, Stefan Dejaric, said that gunmen were forcing staff members out of their apartments in Khartoum and then operating out of them. With concern growing that the conflict may entangle other nations, observers were paying close attention to Egypt, which has enmeshed itself deeply into the affairs of its neighbor. Since 2019, when pro-democracy protesters forced Sudan's autocratic president to step down, Egypt has been eager to keep a civilian-led democracy from taking root on its southern doorstep, analysts have said. Ruled by a military-backed government that came to power after its own anti-government uprising in 2011, Egypt has sought to replicate similar leadership in Sudan. Egyptian officials see a strongman as the best way of keeping its neighbor stable and off a democratic path that could inspire Egyptians, and they have embraced General al-Burhan as an ally, especially after one Rapid Support Forces faction captured Egyptian soldiers and seven Egyptian warplanes over the weekend. The fighting has made transit in and out of the country difficult. At the main airport in Khartoum, airplanes were targeted, again, on Monday as the rival military factions fought for control over critical infrastructure. The New York Times, using satellite imagery, has identified 20 planes that have been destroyed or badly damaged at the airport since the conflict erupted. On Monday evening, residents of the city of Omdurman, northwest of the capital, said the situation was quiet, with many people coming out of their homes and traffic gradually building in some shopping areas. Many households, however, still lacked water or electricity. In the capital, many residents found it safest to stay home. Mr. Aburira, the electrical engineer who went out to charge his phone, said that in the half hour he spent on the street, he encountered almost no one. The few people he did run across, he said, looked like a zombie, without a soul or spirit. Reporting was contributed by Vivian Yi from Cairo, Farnes Vasahai and Christoph Kodal from New York and Edward Wong from Karuazawa, Japan. More than a dozen hospitals in Sudan have been forced to shut, according to the Central Committee for Sudanese Doctors. Several of the medical facilities had been bombed and evacuated, with even more facing shortages of doctors and medical supplies, the group said. The European Union's ambassador to Sudan, Aidan O'Hara, was assaulted in his residency in Khartoum on Monday afternoon, the EU's top diplomat, Josep Borrell Fontels, said. It was not immediately clear who assaulted the ambassador, but a spokeswoman for the bloc said in a text message that he is doing fine. 
she did not immediately provide more details. The fighting in Sudan between rival leaders and the armed forces erupted at a significant moment for its Muslim-majority population, the last 10 days of the holy month of Ramadan. During Ramadan, Muslims abstain from food and water from dawn to dusk and engage in reading the Quran and helping the poor. The last 10 days are considered the holiest in the entire Islamic calendar because they bookend the anniversary of the evening when the Quran was revealed to Prophet Muhammad. Because of that, Muslims double their efforts during those days by giving charity, studying religious texts and staying in mosques for longer periods as part of a practice known as itikaf. On Saturday, the timing of the armed clashes in Khartoum, the capital of Sudan, and other cities shocked many African leaders who called on the rivals to put down their weapons and let citizens enjoy the holiest period of Ramadan. Musa Faki Mahamat, the chairman of the African Union Commission, called on both groups to immediately stop the destruction of the country, the terrorization of its people, and the shedding of blood during the last 10 days of Ramadan. Ethiopia's Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, said in a statement that the clashes violate the ancient Sudanese norms and values because they come in the last days of the holy month of Ramadan. Kenya's president, William Ruto, concurred, saying that all differences should be addressed through dialogue for the sake of the security of the people of Sudan and stability in the country and the region, especially during this holy month of Ramadan. In Sudan, Ramadan is considered a joyous celebration, with families and friends coming together to share foods like samosas, dates, sweet tea and asida, a semolina-based flour dish. But for many Sudanese, this Ramadan comes during an arduous period, with the country facing food insecurity because of poor harvests, steep food prices and a spiraling economic crisis. More than 15 million people across the country are experiencing food shortages and rampant inflation, said Islamic Relief, the non-governmental organization. On Saturday evening, as the hour to break the fast got closer, gun battles in parts of the capital quieted, several witnesses said. Residents who were stuck in their homes all day then rushed out to buy bread, dates and watermelons to quench their hunger and thirst. After starting as a camel trader who led a feared militia accused of atrocities in Darfur, Lt. Gen. Mohamed Hamdan has steadily amassed influence and riches in Sudan over the past two decades as he rose toward the pinnacle of power. Even when his one-time patron, the autocratic ruler President Omar Hassan al-Bashir, was ousted by pro-democracy protesters in 2019, Gen. Hamdan turned it to his advantage, swiftly abandoning Mr. al-Bashir and, in the past year, reinventing himself as a born-again Democrat with aspirations to lead Sudan himself. At the same time, he allied himself with Russia and its Wagner private military company, whose mercenaries guard gold mines in Sudan and which has supplied military equipment to his forces. But General Hamdan faced perhaps his toughest challenge yet on Saturday, as fighting raged across the capital between his powerful paramilitary group and the Sudanese army under General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan. This man is a criminal, General Hamdan said in an interview with Al Jazeera on Saturday, lashing out against General Al-Burhan, the army chief who until Saturday was technically his boss and is now his mortal enemy. This man is a liar, General Hamdan continued. This man is a thief. He destroyed Sudan. The army hit back, with a spokesman disparaging General Hamdan a rebel. 
But the heated language brought home to many Sudanese that, despite his earlier talk about democracy, General Hamdan, a commander with a long record of ruthless action, was literally fighting for his future. And it was a reminder of a depressing reality, although protesters ousted the widely reviled Mr. al-Bashir in 2019, the military leaders who thrived in his brutal system of rule are still fighting to dominate the country. General Hamdan cut his teeth as a commander with the Janjaweed militias that carried out the worst atrocities in the western region of Darfur. The conflict, which began in 2003, displaced millions and caused the deaths of as many as 300,000 people. His ability to crush local rebel groups won him the loyalty of Mr. al-Bashir, who in 2013 appointed him to lead the newly created Rapid Support Forces. After protesters flooded the streets of Khartoum in early 2019, roaring for Mr. al-Bashir's ouster, General Hamdan turned on Mr. al-Bashir, helping to push him out of power. But two months later, in June 2019, when protesters demanding an immediate transition to civilian rule refused to leave a protest site, General Hamdan's rapid support forces led a brutal assault. His troops burned tents, raped women and killed dozens of people, dumping some of them in the Nile, according to numerous accounts from protesters and witnesses. At least 118 people were killed, according to Sudanese medics. General Hamdan denied any role in the violence and bristled at those who referred to his fighters as Janjaweed, despite the militia's key role in his rise to power. Janjaweed means a bandit who robs you on the road, he told the New York Times. It's just propaganda from the opposition. Since then, the Rapid Support Forces has evolved into far more than a gun-toting rabble. With about 70,000 fighters by some estimates, the force has been deployed to quash insurgencies across Sudan and to fight for pay in Yemen as part of the Saudi-led coalition. War also made General Hamdan very rich, with interests in gold mining, construction and even a limousine hire company. He has also emerged as a surprisingly agile politician, traveling across the Horn of Africa region and the Middle East to meet with leaders and developing close ties with Moscow. One of the rival factions of the Sudanese armed forces fighting on Saturday is led by General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, a powerful military commander who has for years been a de facto leader of the African nation. Little known before 2019, General al-Burhan rose to power in the tumultuous aftermath of the military-led coup that ousted Omar Hassan al-Bashir, the authoritarian leader who was deposed after popular uprisings in 2019. Then the Inspector General of the Armed Forces, he had also served as a regional army commander in Darfur when 300,000 people were killed and millions of others displaced in fighting from 2003 to 2008. General al-Burhan had been closely aligned with Mr. al-Bashir. But when Mr. al-Bashir was ousted, his defense minister, Lt. General Awad Mohammed Ahmed ibn Auf, took over, pushing protesters to demand for his resignation. When General Ibn Auf stepped down, General al-Burhan replaced him, becoming the most powerful leader of the country in a tenuous transitional period. General al-Burhan then went on to progressively tighten his grip on Sudan. After civilians and the military signed a power-sharing agreement, in 2019, General al-Burhan became the chairman of the Sovereignty Council, a body that would oversee the country's transition to democratic rule. But as the date for the handover of power to civilians got closer in late 2021, General al-Burhan seemed reluctant to hand over power. 
As tensions rose, Jeffrey Feltman, the U.S. envoy to the Horn of Africa at the time, arrived in Sudan to talk with both sides. Despite his differences with the civilian side, Mr. Al-Burhan gave no indication that he wanted to seize power. But on October 25, just hours after the U.S. envoy left, General Al-Burhan detained Abdallah Hamdok, the prime minister at the time, in his own house, blocked the internet and seized power, effectively derailing the country's transition to democratic rule. Two weeks later, he also appointed himself the head of a new ruling body that he promised would deliver Sudan's first free election. But that did not assuage opposition groups and civilian protesters who continued to pour into the streets every week to demand his resignation and the end to military rule. In December 2022, the military, represented by General Al-Burhan and a coalition of civilian pro-democracy groups, signed a preliminary agreement brokered by members of the international community to end the political standoff. But that deal did not satisfy the demands of some civilians who continued to protest, or his biggest rival, Lt. Gen. Mohamed Hamdan, the leader of the Rapid Support Forces, a powerful paramilitary group. 